I'm just going to hit the ground running, all right? Now, you've heard of, how many of you have heard of, if I say the greatest generation, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? So the greatest generation, I think Tom Brokaw wrote a book, wrote a book about the greatest generation. He was writing about those men, that, that, that generation of people during World War II, and the, and the men that went off and fought, and the women that were here that supported, worked in the factories. I mean, the home was, what had been the home was totally shaken up at that time. But it was the, those men that went off and fought and won, war, won World War II and the women that were here that did everything to support that in manufacturing, raising the family, supporting the home, all those things. That's what we call the greatest generation. Well, I don't want to create a fight this morning, but I, I disagree. I personally do not believe that that generation was the greatest generation. I don't. And I've had conversations with some people about this. I believe that the greatest generation was the generation that raised the greatest generation. It was the, the, the men and the women who raised those children who had the fortitude to go off and fight in World War II and to win that battle. And, and had the fortitude to, to go into the factories and the women who went in there and they fought in those factories, and they, and they fought to keep their families and to raise their children, all the things that went on. I believe the greatest generation was the generation that raised the greatest generation. So the greatest generation was great, and they went off and won World War II, but then they came home, and, and that generation we see that began, it began then, and we see it with their children and the way their children were raised. We've seen a slide ever since in our nation. Morally and everything, you can track it from, from the early 60s. It is just a downgrade continually in our country. So let me say this. The next generation is always of the utmost importance. Amen? I mean, look, your pastor is going to be 54 this month. I was a young man when y'all brought me here. I was a young, young man. I, I was young. I was young. And four years has you know, done a number on me. No. It really hasn't. But, but in, it, it, let's fast forward 10 years. If the Lord allows me to stay here and, and, and remain healthy in 10 years, I'm going to be 64. Our elders are going to be old men. You know, our, our, our deacons at this point are going to be old men. So we've got to raise up that next generation. We look around these teenagers, these younger, these children. In 10 years, you're going to blink and everything changes. Had a friend told me years, I'm going to chase rabbits. I got a friend told me 10 years ago, he said, if I back up 10 years, all four of my kids are home. Fast forward 10 years, all four kids are married. He's got 13 grandchildren. It changes quick. The next generation is always of utmost importance. Therefore, the generation teaching the next generation is of utmost, must, uh, utmost importance. Amen? And how can that generation be, an effect, uh, be, be as effective as we need them to be if they're not trained and equipped and encouraged by those who have gone before? Those who know the way. Those who have hit and learned to miss the potholes. Those who have made mistakes and made corrections. Who better to teach those coming up than those who have gone before? Vance Havner said this, and this is just kind of a quote dealing with, with, with cultural problems, but he says, Total abstinence is considered Victorian and, Victorian and puritanical. We discuss what to do with alcoholism, but nobody seems to want to do anything about alcohol. He said, "What? Uh, and, and that is simply a matter of trying to mop up the floor while you leave the faucet running. You know, what he's dealing with, what he's saying is, folks, we complain about the problems, but we really are complaining about the symptoms of the problems. We don't want to deal with the problems. We don't want to fix the problem. 
And a gener- we, we, we need a generation of mature Christians to teach the upcoming generation how to turn off the faucet. That's what we need. There's a lady named Shamika Michelle, and she's a writer for, a, 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 I think it's a show, it's a podcast or something. I, I read the guy, I don't, I don't get to hear it, but a guy named Jason Whitlock, and he does this, I think it's a podcast called Fearless with Jason Whitlock. He's countercultural. He's, he, he is, he's a believer, he's an outspoken believer, and he's countercultural, and she is as well. And this is what she had to say recently. She said, 60 million babies is a result of us being immoral sexually, out of control, using abortion as a method of birth control, and using it as a crutch to be irresponsible. Folks, we've got to change these things. These things that are happening in America need to change. I'm going to say this. I want to go back to the abortion thing. If you say you're pro-life and you put a caveat on it that except in, abor- in, in rape or incest, then I'm not going to say what I wanted to say right then. Be quiet. Don't tell anybody you're pro-life because you're not. Rape and incest, that is a life no different than any other. Amen? Okay. I think we're pro-life here. In our world today, it is of utmost importance that we instill proper values in our children because they, they will not learn it from the lost, wicked, satanic world around them. They're not. We have to teach these things. And if we don't teach them, folks, they're not going to get it. The, 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 the most important Christian education for a child is received at home. Amen? What we teach the children here at church is nothing if we don't live it out in the home. This is nothing new. And the Bible teaches us about how we're to raise our children. We looked last week. We had this, we had the baby, the children, we had a children dedication last week. We had a whole family dedicated last week. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, it says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. These, these things of the faith must always be before us, and we need to realize our children are never too big to instruct them on these things. Amen? Cliff, do you still have conversations with your kids about godly things? Amen. Many of our children, many of you here, your children are grown and they're gone and they have families of their own. And yet we still need to keep the teaching of the word of God ever before them. Amen, Randy Dixon? Amen. Parents out there, look, it don't matter if you got little tot, little bitty ones at home. You need to be teaching them. But you need to still be pouring the Word of God into your older children. Amen? Amen. If that teaching, um, if that teaching is to take place in the home, who will teach them to teach them? And that's what we're talking about today. Who will instruct the next generation? So today we're looking at this, the, the, the instruction that Paul gives to Titus here. Now Paul is a, Titus is a pastor on the island of Crete, and Paul instructed Titus what to teach these people about how, to, how they should live as Christ followers. So this passage today is directed at the older women in the church there on Crete. That, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're going to focus on. So we look around us today, and if we look around, uh, we would say that would include a large number, a great number of our population today. There are older women. Now listen, I didn't say the old women. That's not what I said. Don't hear something I didn't say. I didn't say all you old women. I didn't. I said the older women. You know what? Just about every woman in here meets that qualification as being an older woman. Because you can look around and find a younger woman. Right? Amen? 
So Scott Malcolm was telling me this morning, he's, he's just a child, just a child. He's a full, like right at a year younger than me. So he says, does that mean I'll be old next year? I said, no, but I'll be older. You'll still be, you'll, I'll be older than you. So look, we look around and, and, and we can find someone younger than us, someone that we can pour into. And I'll, I'll tell you, look around and find someone older than you, someone who can pour into you. That's what you need. You need somebody pouring into you and you need to be pouring into somebody else. So we're going to look at that, this today, this, this, this area of the older women teaching the younger women. Um, and I know you know this well, that the work of a mother is never done. Amen. It's just never done. So we're, look, to, to, we're here in Titus chapter 2. Let's look at verse 3 through 5. We'll read these and we'll launch out here. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So Titus ministered in a pagan environment among, among Christians who had a background in violence, dishonesty, and immorality. That, and those are the things that the Cretans, the Cretans there were, were, were legendary for. So does that sound familiar? Does that sound like anything you would recognize today, this violence and dishonesty and immorality? Sounds a lot like where we live today in our culture. So Titus had his work cut out for him, and the church there in Crete had much of the ills of society embedded in the church. Many of the problems that were in society were right there in the church. They were prevalent in the church. And like many churches today, instead of the church being an influence on the culture, the culture was an influence on the church. So go back to Titus chapter 1. You might need to turn the page, you might not. But go back to Titus chapter 1, verse 10. I want to look at some things here in the way of background. Verse 10 says, for their... For their um, are many uh, insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers. Idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, those that were of the, the, the Jews. They, were, they was a, that, that said they were Christian and they're idle talkers. They're insubordinate. They're out of order. They're out of place. They're not following God's authority there. They're idle talkers. They're deceivers whose mouths must be stopped. This is what Paul's telling Titus. Their mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole households, teaching them things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So Paul exhorts Titus here, and he tells him to set these things straight, to set these people straight. Verse 13, the latter part of verse 13 and into 14 says, Therefore rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them Correct them, address them, confront them, rebuke them sharply. Why is he to do that? That, that word there, that's telling us why. That they may be sound in the faith. The idea wasn't just to beat them up and run them off. The idea was to correct them in their, their wrong, in their wrong teachings, their wrong behavior, their wrong beliefs, their wrong t actions, and to get them corrected and that they would live out the faith right, then sound in faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Like in many places today, there were those who taught as God's truth the current trends in the culture. We have, we have today the things that are being pushed. And folks, all of these things are being pulled into the church. Critical race theory, transgenderism, homosexuality, cohabitating. Oh, that's not a big deal to live together. Adultery, uh, uh, um, um, fornication. We don't hear that word a lot anymore. Listen, any sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is fornication. Amen. It's sexual sin. P 
Period. The Bible's very clear on that. But we brought this and embraced it right in the church. Well, it's okay as long as we love each other. No, it's not okay. Even if you love each other. Scriptures tell us where that's to be. Period. There is no but or maybe or we. No. Scripture is the law on this. Adultery. And yes, even this issue of abortion. We have people, authors, Christian authors who are coming out now and standing in support of abortion. Drop the Christian part of your name. I, I'm, not a, I'm not apologetic in this at all. I don't think a Christian can embrace an abortion. I, I don't know how you can say you believe the scriptures and you're a follower of Christ and still support death and murder. We're off YouTube again. Maybe. The culture says one thing, but most often the Word of God says something else. The Word of God is going to tell us the truth. The Word of God is going to tell us the way to live our lives and how we should live that out. So Paul tells Titus, he gives him here a, a timeless truth in verse 15. He says, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Their minds and their consciences are defiled. So purity is from the inside, not the outside, folks. Nothing on the outside will be corrupted by a person internally pure. However, one who is defiled, the impurity on the inside corrupts everything they touch. And so as a result of that, Paul adds this in verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified from, for, for every good work. Folks, what we believe is important. And, and, the, and the foundation of our beliefs is important. Uh, we always have to go back to the Word of God. Amen? So Paul says here in chapter 1, in, in first, uh, first Timothy, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, rather than godly edification, edification which is in faith. And what Paul is telling him, he said he equates theological error with moral deficiency. Look, when we see a moral decline, you can bet there's a, there's a theological, there's theological error. There's, there's, they've gotten away from the Word of God. They're not teaching the truth of the Word of God. This is not foundational to their beliefs. They don't have a biblical worldview. When you have error in morality, it, you can always trace it back to there's an error in what they're doing with the Word of God. Amen? So how do we spot these people? How do we spot these things that are going on? Jesus said this. He said, by their fruit, you will know them. We will know them by their fruit. So this is Titus's task, is to correct this situation. And so it is in, in light of these false teachers that Paul moves on here in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, but as for you, but as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Speak truth. Speak proper teachings. Teach the Word of God. So to teach sound doctrine from the Scriptures, we must know the Scriptures. We must know what the Bible teaches. And Paul instructs Titus to begin with the older men. Why, why, why those who are older? Because they set the example for the rest of us. Amen? I, I mean, I look to the older men. I look to older men. I look to older pastors. I look to, not necessarily older. I look, there's some pastors in our area that I, that I have, hold up in high regard that I look to that are younger than me. They're guys that have pastored 20 years. 
They're, they're older in the faith, maybe. They're older in the ministry. And I look to those guys and I learn from them because they know things I don't know. That's who I want to look to. And you, you can look around. I mean, you can look around right now and, and spot 10 people, I'm sure, who you go, they could teach me something. They could teach me something. And you can look around and find 10 people. Maybe maybe I could teach them something. Maybe I can help them. Maybe I can encourage them. Maybe I can be a, a blessing to them. Those are the things we, we need to be doing. But Paul, Paul sets out... To, to, Paul tells Titus to address the older men first. And we look up to them. So Titus 2.2, he says that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. I wish I had time to go through each of those and describe what they mean. But what he's saying here is he's saying men, men teach these men to do their part. So my exhortation to this morning on Mother's Day is men, if we want our mothers to be the mothers they need to be, men, you need to be the man that you need to be. You need to be the man that God's called you to be and created you to be and saved you to be. Quit playing games. Quit being halfway in. Be the man that God called you to be. If you're married, man, your wife can't be all God's created her to be if you don't be all that He's created you to be. You hinder your wife. Be the man. Be the man. Amen, ladies? Y'all can amen that. Yeah. Gina? Amen. <laughs> but then Paul moves on in what he's telling Titus. He moves on to the older women. Verse 3, he says this. He says, uh, the older women likewise. Now, likewise, what does that mean? It means the same way, likewise. Like the older men, the older women are to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. And we come to verse 3, that they be, why? Why those things? That they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women. Now, we're going to look at these traits here because we see that the men and the women have the same thing, sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love, and patience. And then there's some additional things here, that they be these things. And we want to look at this. These are the older women. More mature women is what we're looking at here. I'll say reverent in behavior. Now, reverent can mean many different things, and certainly it means reverent towards God. Now, the Greek Christians would have understood Paul to be saying that a mature Christian woman should demonstrate, listen to this, the holiness of a heart that is near to God. That's what being reverent in behavior is. That is, that is the holiness of a heart that is near to God. Man, we just act different when we're close to God, when we're near to God. Amen? It shows on your face. It shows in your words. You hear it. It's all. And that, that attitude and that behavior is reflected in all of our behaviors when we have a holiness of a heart that is near to God. Reverent in behavior. It says not slanderers. Not slanderers. Interesting. The Greek word here for slanderers is the word diabolos. Who knows what that word is? It's devil. Or it's, and it's devil, but it means, it means, de, it means a, a, a slanderer. That's what it means. It means someone who's tearing down. So, so think of this for a moment. Slandering and gossip are very closely related terms. Slander and gossip. So when a bunch of older ladies gather together and they gossip, here's what they're being. They're being devilish. Now, men... We're not excluded from this, okay? 
So when we get together and we spiritualize our gossiping and we call it uh, prayer needs, we've got to be careful about discussing the prayer needs of people who aren't present with us. That's a convicting verse. We, we, we could dwell on that for just a little while and probably have revival break out if we just get rid of the talk that shouldn't be. Not given to much wine. Like today, alcohol abuse was common, and abuse of wine showed a lack of self-control. Teachers, I'm not even going to go into that today, okay? Not even going to go into that day. I'm going to give you all a pass today, okay? Teachers of good things. The older ones need to teach, and by their good and reverent conduct, they are able to teach good things. They're to teach the right things. Teaching here is most likely on the level of personal advice and encouragement given by word and by example. What better way to come along somebody than to build a relationship with them and encourage them with your words and and, and tell them and share examples of things in your life, things you've been through, the pitfalls you've seen and how you've learned to, to navigate around those and to help somebody with that. You know what Paul is saying about these older women is that need to be, that, here's what he's saying, they need to be mature Christ followers. That's what our older ladies in our church, that, that's what Paul's saying you should be. You should be a mature Christ follower. And you should be constantly growing to become more mature as a Christ follower. Now, I'm preaching at ladies, but guys, this goes for us as well. There is nothing I'm saying today that doesn't apply to us too. We need to be growing. So we need to be mature. And so um, I think what Paul, I really do think as I've read this and I'm studying through this, I think maturity is as much the issue here as age. I think, I think that may even be more because you can have an, uh, listen, there are some older ladies I don't want any of our younger ladies hanging out with. Now, I'm not saying they're in our church. I'm not naming names, but that was a joke. But y'all were, one, y'all were like, oh, no. But there, there are older ladies I don't want our younger ladies with because they're not mature, faithful believers. They're not, they may be a believer, but some aren't mature. Some aren't faithful. Some aren't going to say the right things and pour the right things into a younger person. So why are, why are all these things important? Here's the theme of this, is that they admonish the younger women. And that word admonish means this. It means to warn or reprimand firmly. It means encourage. It means to teach. I think one of the greatest things missing in our church, American church, but I'd say right here in our church, is the older women teaching the younger women and the older men teaching the younger men. I think we're lacking greatly in those areas. And something we, we, we really need to focus on as a church. Now, part of that is younger have got to be willing to be teachable. You've got to want to learn from someone who's older. You've got to get past the arrogance of youth that says, I've got all the answers. I already know it all. Now, I thought I did at 18 too. Anybody else? Had it all figured out at 18. So we clearly see the concept here of of spiritual mentoring in this passage. Only only, uh, one very important thing I need to bring up here, though. Paul didn't tell Titus to instruct the young women. He told Titus to instruct the old women 
the older women to instruct the younger women. And there's all the kind of implications that come with that. But what needs to be happening is that our older ladies need to be teaching our younger ladies. That would be the appropriate thing, and especially Titus, a young preacher. And we have to be very careful in the things that we set up and the way we do those things. So do we need the next generation to be godly? We do. Then we must have godly mothers. And so older godly mothers must be mentoring younger mothers to be godly. Let me say that again. Older godly mothers must be mentoring younger mothers to be godly. By example, by words, based on your experiences, and grounded in the scriptures. Younger women, uh, younger women need the experiences of the older women, from mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. Otherwise, they, they will have to learn by trial and error, and often that, that we'll see, that, and we see this too often, we see where they're pulled away by the world, they're pulled away by ungodly forces because there's not a godly person that's born into their life. And we need fellowship. We need those relationships. Look, older ladies, older ladies, if you're a mature believer, be pouring into somebody. Find somebody to pour into. Where, where is... Uh, Lynn White. Is Miss Lynn White here today? Miss, okay. Miss Lynn White so desires to mentor younger women. She so desires to disciple new believers. And the problem is we can't find many younger ladies that are willing to be discipled, that are willing to take the time and sit with her. She would love to pour in. A lady that's been on the mission field for 40 plus years. That'd be a lady to learn from. That'd be a lady for some of you that ain't but five or ten years younger than her or might be the same age as her to sit and talk to because she's got a lot she could pour into your life. Maybe you've got something you can pour into hers as well. We need that. And, and so, so here we, 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 here's what the older women need to teach the younger women. Look at verse 4 and 5. That they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So to love their husbands. You know, you wouldn't think that a woman would have to be told to love her husband. And in fact, when we go to Ephesians and we do counseling on marriage, we look at that and, and the, the, the husband is told to love your wife, love your wife three times. We're, we're obstinate, so the Lord tells us three times right there. But, but wives are commanded as well to love their husbands. And, and, but you notice also that to love their husbands is placed before loving their children. So the best gift a mother and father can give their children is to love each other. Greatest thing you can show your kids is that mom and dad love each other and model that properly in the home. So it's interesting here that the word for love, you would think that word, you know, loving your husband might be an, the word agape, the agape love word. It's not. It's phileo. So this word comes from phileo, which is a brotherly love, a companion love. And it's an affectionate love. It's, a, it's full of kindness and compassion and friendship. And that's what the Lord says about this. Love your husbands. And to love their children. Teach the older ladies, teach these younger ladies to love their husbands and to love their children. And it's the same root word here. And so the godly mother affectionately loves her family and holds the family together. But who needs to teach women to love her children, right? No, we wouldn't have to do that. Women just, just naturally love their children. We've already heard this morning that's not the case anymore. That's not the case in our culture. And you know what? There are, Andrea, strange question. How many girls come into, women come into the clinic that are in church somewhere? Do you see that? Oh, y'all didn't hear that. One out of four. 
One out of four that go into the crisis pregnancy center are in a church. There's still a great need. There's still a great need to teach this. We need to teach this, this love for children. You know, we live in this age where the slaughter of the unborn through abortions, it's internationally rampant, and we shouldn't find it hard to imagine a situation in which mothers need to be called back to the protection and the promotion of their children. You know, it's, this past week we heard from Stephen, and they were, they were sharing with us about uh, Stephen Crockett, and they were tell, telling about the twins that were born in the village. They had the twins born, and they believe that when twins are born, that one is good as one is evil. And so they've got them there, and the mother's having to decide which one's the good one and which one's the bad one. And finally, she stomped the head in of the bigger child and says, that's the evil one, and crushed it to death. You know what that is? That's a post-birth abortion. And it's satanic. It's the satanic influence of death that is all over our world, folks. It's not just here. It's everywhere. It's called sin. We need to teach our kids the value of life. To be discreet. To be sensible. This word can be translated sober-minded or to be self-controlled or to be discreet. Now, let me say it this way in modern vernacular. Don't be a Karen. Does that make sense? If you haven't seen Karen videos, go see a few. You don't, that's who you don't want to be. Don't act like a Karen. Don't, don't be so entitled that, that you got you to gotta throw a fit about everything. And you're so entitled and you've been so pampered that when things don't go, you're... And, and listen, no, I'm not going there. It's us, folks. It's this group right here that's always the Karens. Middle-aged, white people that act stupid. Absolutely. I'd see it again and again and again. Be discreet. Don't, don't be a Karen. That's what it says in the, in the CWV, Conrad Westbrook version. It says don't be a Karen. Chaste, move on. Chaste means pure. It's morally pure in thought, word, and deed. Faithful in marriage. Extramarital affairs among women today occur about as often as with men. Now, a lot of that's just the, the workplace environment and things that have happened, but a lot of that's just because of the homes, folks. It's what we're doing at home. It's, how, how, husband, how are you loving your wife? How are you taking care of your wife? How are you providing for your wife? Are you praying with your wife? And one of the most intimate things you can do is pray with your wife. Godly mothers are to be faithful and pure in their marriages. It says homemakers. Now, what that means is it's workers at home. The implication is that women are effective managers of their household. And this does not mean that they are barefoot and pregnant. That's not the idea with this. So in Paul's day and time, the home was the domain of the woman, and it was not oppressive in that culture. So the Proverbs 31 woman speaks this way. Uh, Proverbs 31, 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. You know what she is? She's a manager. She's working in the home, out of the home, for the home. All, all of that goes into it. Verse 24 there, she makes, a linen, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the, for the merchants. So the godly woman and mother helps provide for the home. And sometimes that's at home, that's working at home. And, and today, if, if you, there, there are situations, let me just say this, this way. Wife, if you're working out of the home for greed, 
I, don't, I wouldn't agree with that. But there are, there are a lot of different situations today. Sometimes we have to work. Both, both spouses have to work. Sometimes you're a single mom. Sometimes you're, you're just single. There's, I'm not saying that you have to be home eating bonbons, keep your shoes off. No, no, it's not about that. It's not oppression. We under, when we understand the culture of this, but it is partnering in the home. And there are different roles within the home. Good. Okay. Good means good. That's exactly what it means. And it can easily be, we, we can see it as meaning virtuous, okay? So that word good there is virtuous. So they need to be about being good and kind or virtuous to all that they come in contact with. And, and then we come to obedient to their own husbands. You know, it used to be that we said this in a, in a marriage ceremony. It would be to love, honor, and obey. You know that the obey part has been dropped for a lot of people? They don't, they don't say that anymore. No, you're to love and to honor them. They've dropped the obey part. Because we have a culture today that doesn't like that because that's oppressive. Folks, that's not oppressive. It's biblical. And, and you, but you got to understand the biblical part of this. Paul is not a chauvinist. And so when he uses the term your own husband, it's used in the same way when speaking of the husband's own wife. Love your own wife. Don't love somebody else's wife. Love your own wife. Love your own husband. Love them. Care for them. Women are not inferior to men. Rather, submission is part of God's function within the intimate circle of the home. So Ephesians 5, 24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. There's a submission there. Verse 25, let's go ahead and look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her. Here, here's the idea. It, this submission. This is the idea in a home. Love and respect. In, in, in Ephesians there, three times men are commanded, husbands are commanded to love their wives. You know why? Because a lot of times men are harsh. A lot of times men, men take this out. Listen, honey, I, I told you I loved you when we got married. <laughs> and if it changes, I'll let you know. That's where we're at. We need to tell our wives we love them. We need to say it often. I don't say it enough. We need to say it more often. But then the submission comes in. And there was a book written, and it was called Love and Respect. And that's what these passages speak of. And, it, and if a woman tears down a man, especially in public, I mean, that's just that disrespect, that dishonoring. It's so damaging to the relationship. When the husband isn't loving to his wife, it's hurt, it hurts the relationship. There should be a love and a respect there. That's what this is talking about. You know, men aren't to lord over their wives. That's not, that's not the role God's given for us to do. Husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church, and the husband must be ready to even die for his wife. I don't see anywhere where the wife is commanded to, to be willing to die for the husband. Husbands, we are to be willing to die for our wives, and yet sometimes so many won't even live with them. They won't live with them, but you're supposed to die for them. If we die to self, a lot of times our marriages would get a lot better. This is a picture of the church and Christ. So when we talk about submission, it's in the area of function of roles that God has given us. So we're subject to Christ. 
We're subject to civil authority. We are are as employees. We are subject to our employers. That's the slave to master relationship we read in Scripture. Yet we are all equal before Christ. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all equal before Christ. But despite um, what this woke culture tells us, we have God-given roles based on our God-given gender. And um, it's not for us to choose that. God's determined that. God's given that. And we're to function within that. So why are all these instructions given? Why does Paul give all this to Titus? Well, he tells us there, right there at the end of verse 5. So the word of God may not be blasphemed. So the word of God may not be blasphemed. Living a godly life is not easy, but living a godly life uh, as, as God has called his children to live will result in people praising God and not dishonoring him. So you older women have a job to do, mentoring the younger women. Amen? That's the, that's the message this morning. We need to raise godly mothers. And that means older you older women, more mature women, you who have been through it, can train up these younger women and help them to be better mothers. Help them to be a better mother than you ever could have been, or ever, ever were. Help them to be better. Well, they'll figure it out. I did. That's not the right attitude. Help them. Help them avoid the, the mistakes. And when you see someone making a mistake, venture out. Offer, do it in the right way. Be tactful, okay? If you come up to me after the service and say, boy, that stunk. I might not receive that well. You can say it another way. You can say, Pastor, you could have done a, you know, that, that was, that was, you can say it nicely, okay? Put a little honey on it as Pastor the other night was talking about. Put a little honey on it. And, and you know what? Sometimes people will receive that and sometimes they won't. But venture out and be willing to help them. Be willing to help them. You see mistakes they're making, help them. Don't go up and say, look, you're doing that all wrong. Let me show you how that's done. No, no, no. Go up and just... Build a relationship and offer some help for correction. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Do it here in the church. Do it in your neighborhood. Do it with your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Do these things. So the next generation of godly mothers desperately needs the mentoring of the older mothers who have gone before. So as I wrap this up, men, I'll say it again. We have to do our part and lead as men. We have to do our part. Um, Ladies... If you are a mother, a grandmother, or a great-grandmother, teach these younger mothers and these younger women. Teach them. Help them. Walk beside them. Encourage them. Instruct them. If you're a younger mother or not yet a mother, seek out wisdom from these older, mature, godly women. You know, I'll just say this. You know, uh, Keith's... Um, Gage Gage isn't here and uh, Gage has a godly father to look up to right so he's not here today so I can say this Um, but I know that Gage had a couple of men in his life besides Keith that that he talked to Raymond's one of them he spent a lot of time talking to Raymond it's where the older men are teaching the younger men you know I want my son I hope my son will come and talk to me I mean I hope he ain't talking to you guys if he ain't talking to me but I hope he'll talk to me 
But I hope he'll talk to some of you as well. You mature me. I want him to do that. These younger ladies need that. You need to be seeking it out. Older ladies, be seeking out the younger ones to help. The next generation is in the hands of this generation. Pastor Aaron, you and the team can come forward. I'm, I'm just about done. Don't blame the next generation for how, how they turn out. What they become is a direct result of how we bring them up. Did y'all hear that? We get some activity in it and, it, and, it, and, and we, we, we tune out. I want y'all to hear this. Don't blame the next generation for how they turn out. What they become is a direct result of how we bring them up. We always, we want to go, boy, these kids today, they're this, that, and the other. You know why they're that way? It's because of the way they're being parented. It's mom and dad. And it's the way culturally things that we allow today, we didn't allow 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago. It's different. But the way our kids are, it's the way we're bringing them up. It's the way we teach them or don't teach them. Mature Christian ladies, my exhortation today is teach these younger ladies. Find somebody to pour into. Amen? Point them to Jesus. I'm gonna have a, we're going to have a short re- a time here to respond, but I want to invite you this morning, if you've never place